Good morning. I'm just uh, protecting my Yorkie. Just double checking no one's going to sneak that off with that link. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's, that is normally how it goes. Say it back normally. Happy Father's Day. The section we're going to cover today, I do think, is, is somewhat appropriate for Father's Day. And, and I know many of us will, as Rob was saying earlier, many of us will have had uh, a mix of experiences with fathers or father figures. But the real and the truest expression of a father is found in God the Father. And I love that we can call God the creator of the whole universe, the creator of the cosmos, we can call him Father. God delights in his children. Rob was saying that earlier, wasn't he? God delights in his children. God is delighted when you come to him. It's something human fathers get wrong sometimes, or sadly, maybe a lot of the time, but God really does. He delights in us. He delights in you. I see it sometimes when the joy I receive when Seth, my two-year-old, runs up to hug me. When I've just arrived home from work and he runs out to hug me. It's such a precious moment. Oh, it's just, it's great. And, and that's what God is like when we are in his presence. When we draw near, whether it's like this morning, gathered to worship, or by yourself, praying in your car on the way to work, whatever it is, God delights in that. Not because he's insecure, but he just delights to see you. God delights to see you. You know, on Friday when I was trying to finish off my message, Seth kept running into the office out there, just coming in to see me, reporting to me the cars and the buses that he had. He'd just come and hand them over to me and say, hey, Dad, look at this. He didn't say that, obviously. That would be quite impressive. Just excited. Wanting to share in that joy. And I thought, this must be like what it's like for God. When we come and approach him about anything and everything, he loves it. He is delighted when we are in his presence. That's relationship. That's Christianity. That, what we as Christians, is what we enter into when we trust in Jesus. And hopefully we're going to see this morning a little bit of that more clearly in our passage today. Our passage this morning is John 17, verse 20 to 26, and it's the last section of a prayer that Jesus prayed just before his arrest and his crucifixion. And it's in this section, right maybe, almost in some ways you could say, as the soldiers are approaching, who knows, maybe he can hear them coming, the torchlight is coming, he can hear them on the horizon. Right at that moment, he prays for his church. He prays for us, he prays for Regent Chapel, he prays for you. Right at the moment, as the soldiers are approaching, it would seem, he prays for you. He thinks on you, and he prays for you. So let's read together John chapter 17, verse 20 to 26. And if you don't have a Bible, I'll read it out for you. John chapter 17, verse 20 to 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. 
I in them are you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and, they, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Just like last week, we see here Jesus' prayerful priorities for his followers. What, what he knows they will need equipping for as they seek and as we seek to live for him in this world. And these are the three things I would like us to highlight this morning. God has blessed his church with divine unity established for us through God the Spirit. Divine glory entrusted to us through God the Son divine love enjoyed by us and in us through God the Father. And all of the above are given for us to enjoy, know and enjoy God, and so the world may believe the gospel. Those are the three aspects that Jesus mentions in his prayer, and these are the three things we're going to chat about this morning. So what do they mean for us today? Well, I'll begin with divine unity, because I think it's telling that just as Jesus, when he prayed for his disciples, he first prayed for their unity and their oneness, that when he then prays for the subsequent church generations, that oneness is the first thing he prays for as well. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. Unified in purpose, unified in mission. God within himself, as a triunity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is completely unified in purpose and in mission for creation, for his creation. Now, last week we mentioned why Jesus prayed for unity before anything else for his church or for his followers. That's because our enemy, Satan, or the evil one, as Jesus calls him earlier on in the chapter, he desires that churches do not function with unity, that they not enter into the joy of being divinely united. Now, unity is a powerful thing. And a focus on being a united people and a close-knit family is a deeply, deeply powerful thing. Now, if you know me, you know that I love sports. Almost all sports now. Um, I'm one of those sad people. I used to be just rugby and football, and that would be it. But I now even watch cricket. I watch multiple formats of cricket. I watch golf and multiple formats of golf. I watch snooker. I watch darts. Yes, I am such a fun person to be around. I love sport and I love sports stories I love sports documentaries I love sports women and men sharing their stories and their experiences I love coaches and captains sharing what happened to them during big sporting moments and recently I was watching the documentary on the recent football world cup last year and spoiler if you were planning to watch all of the games I suppose why not? One of you might want to do that if you'd missed it last year and watched all of the games. Spoiler, Argentina won it, captained by the great, some say the greatest footballer ever, Lionel Messi. And in part of the documentary, I find it fascinating, in part of the documentary they talked about how they felt as a team, as a squad of players, that they were not the most talented, that they were not the strongest, but what they said they focused on was being the most closely knit group of players in the tournament. 
as a squad marked by togetherness. We are not the best. Interesting to say that when you've got Lionel Messi in your team. But anyway, we, they, they felt as a squad, we're not the best, we're not the most talented, but we will be the most together. Other squads may have more talent, more skill, but no other team will have the family feel, the oneness and the togetherness that we will have. And so they put a big emphasis on eating together. There'll be some pictures there up on the screen. They put a big emphasis on eating together. Between matches or training sessions, they shared barbecues together. They shipped over about 2,000 kilograms of Argentinian meat and food for the tournament. And they would eat together. The food of their families, the culture. They would play, card toge play cards together. They focused on being a close-knit group of people, a family marked by togetherness. That if they felt, if they got that right, it would carry them and motivate them through this task of winning the tournament. And in the, in the documentary, they say they believe that a major part of them winning the biggest trophy in football was the togetherness that they had. Not the best or the most talented, they felt, but the most together. They were united in their purpose, united in their mission. Togetherness and oneness in a community can do extraordinary things. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. But it's not like a football team or a nation winning a tournament. It's not a human-created unity. It is much, much deeper than that. It's rooted in relationship with the divine. Satan, the enemy of the church, he knows that unity is powerful and he knows divine unity is powerful. And he does not want Christians to act lovingly towards one another. He does not want us to share intentional time together, to serve each other, to give to each other, to protect each other. He doesn't want us to have the desire to share any time together bar what's expected. And a Sunday morning and a home group, but he doesn't want any more than that. He doesn't want that, but he doesn't want any more than that. Satan would have the principles of submission and putting others' interests before our own as far away from the church as possible. Satan's desire is disunity. He desires Christians to act selfishly, to act unlovingly, to gossip and to bite back, to work to our own selfish motives, to cause stirs and jealousies. And so Jesus prays that we as the church will be equipped to fight off his lies and his schemes. And that God would teach us what it means to be united like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are united. Unified in purpose and in mission and in love. And that's the crucial point on this subject of unity. This unity and oneness Jesus is speaking of here, it can only come through a work of God's Spirit. It can only be brought about through divine equipping. Our unity as believers only comes from being unified in God. We enjoy this unity by partaking in some way in the life of the Godhead. As the Son loves and obeys the Father, so we enter that same divine relationship. We partake through joining the family of God, through trusting in the Lord Jesus. But it can only come through a work of the triune God, who within himself is a triune unity. Perfectly and joyfully loving and serving one another in utter perfection. That is the Godhead. We cannot create this unity. Our job is to maintain it and express it. Only God can bring about that type of love and that type of servant-heartedness. Only God can bring about that type of submission and that real togetherness. So the question is, are we open to God doing that work within us? Or are we quite happy and comfortable to stay as we are? 
Are we quite happy to let God do that work within us, or are we quite happy to stay as comfortable as we are, keeping people at an arm's length? And are we asking God to create that heart and that character within us? It's when we become so unified in God that we will then be able to bear witness to the true identity of Jesus as God's Son and God's sent one, the Messiah. There's an evangelistic edge here, isn't there? Jesus says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Throughout John, we see that Jesus really makes it clear that how we relate to each other matters. Look at what he says here in John 13, 35. And we looked at it last week, didn't he? This unity is visibly based on love. John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The world should see this love, this divine love, and be able to identify something of Jesus within it. Not that just we are nice, that we are respectful, that we're caring, but actually display the love of God for each other in our words and in our actions. Displaying the kindness of God and the love and the sacrificial love of God. Through how we spend time together, how we serve one another, how we sacrificially give to one another. This, that is to reflect something of the father and the son relationship. And so the question for us is, do, do all of my relationships with my brothers and sisters display this type of love? Are our relationships a profound spiritual intimacy? Because that's what they should be. And as the world saw God incarnate in Jesus, and as he showed the world the glory of God and the love of God through his work of salvation, we now too, as the church of God, we are to be the visible revelation of God to the world. The revelation of his glory and the revelation of his love to the world. As people see us and they interact with us, they're meant to go like, whoa, what's different about you? What's different about you? What's different about you as a group? That's what gatherings like this are for. Our relationships with each other are to, re- to declare to a watching world the glory of Jesus and the love of God. Our relationships with each other are designed to be a persuasive reflection of the mutually supportive, the utterly loyal, and the eternally accepting love of the Father and the Son. And don't miss this. That's all relationships in the church. That's young to old, that's leaders and members, that's long-standing members to new, mem- new folks and new members, that's the socially high with the socially lower, that's the non-university educated with the university graduates, that's across all boundary lines between sex and culture and race and finance and education and social, whatever line you want to draw. Now, as I say again, this unity, this oneness, it does not come through moral effort powered by our human energy and our human attention. It only comes through us individually and collectively being in God. It's God's spirit that facilitates this intimacy. But we all have to want it. We all have to want it. And though God is the one who can create this unity, this does not absolve our responsibility. A few weeks ago, Matt took us through the vine analogy. He took us through a couple of weeks in, in, in John chapter 15. We, and we need to plug into God was the idea. We need to plug into God individually and corporately as branches to the vine. If we want to see the reality of this unity and enjoy it, we need to plug into him. When we plug into Jesus, when you draw from Jesus, the fruit is just a byproduct. When you draw from God, when you rely on him, when you look at him and you spend time with him, his character just starts being seen in our lives. We just become like him. 
You know, uh, it's, it's a bit like em Emily keeps saying to me, where's your Welsh accent gone, Joel? And I'll say things like, Charles. <laughs> Where you gone? Yeah, I eat. No, I don't say that. I don't say that. But my accent's gone. It's changed. But I can't help it when I'm surrounded by you all. I can't help it. It just dilutes, disintegrates. I miss people not understanding me. I, I, did a, I did a kid's talk once in Scotland, and I got down and sat down to met this little girl, and she just turned to me after I'd done the talk, and she just turned to me and said, do you speak English? <laughs> I miss, miss that Welsh accent, it's gone. It's just disintegrated. If you stopped me in the street, perhaps you wouldn't believe that that's where I come from. It's awful. But if you saw me chatting with my family, on the phone, if you saw me watching Welsh rugby, if you came with me to a trip to Wales, you would see the real me. It would all just start pouring out. All right, but how's it going, boys? It would all just start coming out, flowing out of me. Because that's the influence of who I'm sharing time with or what I'm doing, because I'm there, I'm connected, I'm, I'm plugged in it, it'll just pour out of me. And that is really, that's the same with God, really. The more you spend time with him, the more you're filling yourself with him, his thoughts, his promises, his truths, you just become more like him. You will sound more like him, you will act more like him, you will give more like him, you will love more like him, you will serve more like him, you will encourage more like him, you will sacrifice more like him. But that only comes through rooting ourselves in the vine. This unity between the, between the Father and the Son is through the Spirit. The Spirit who indwells us. We looked at it last week, or a few weeks ago. Through God's Spirit, we have all the tools we need to do this. So why do we sometimes not see this in our lives? Well, firstly, what are you and I plugged into most often? Is it the world or is it Jesus? What are we plugged into most often? Is it the world or is it Jesus? Who do we speak to more and connect with more? Is it the world or is it Jesus? Whose ideas and priorities do we give more time to and live more in line with? Is it the world or is it Jesus? Who do we love more? Is it the world or is it Jesus? And how often do we ask God for help in all of those questions? God, please help me to loosen my grip on the world so I can hold on to you more. God, help me to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, which we do through living in the power of the Spirit. Have a look at Galatians chapter 5. The words will be up on the screen there for us. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. If we want to see more of this in our lives, we need to pray for more of the Spirit. We need to be praying for more of God in our lives. More of a desire to plug into Him. More of a, a desire to explore Him. Following the Spirit's leading. And if you're feeling this morning that you don't have that desire, and I feel that sometimes as well, I don't have that desire at all, then pray for that desire. We can pray for God to overcome and change our feelings and our apathy. We can do that. Praying, Father, I know my attitude to church and church community, it isn't what it should be. Give me a heart to serve. Give me your heart. Father God, help me to not see my, my status as a Christian just as that, just something that I do for 20 minutes a day, 
and for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. Help me to take hold of my identity in Christ. That I am now yours and you come first in everything, in my time, my money, my energy, my decisions, my priorities. Help me to understand that God, being a follower of Jesus is a minute by minute relationship every single day with you. And help me not to be distracted through the day. This world is so distracting. Reveal yourself to me through the days that I'm in school or in college or in work. If we pray prayers like that sincerely every day, I promise you God will act. I promise you. Because that's what God desires of you. And probably he'll act in ways you can never imagine. Are we too afraid to ask for more of God in our lives? Are we too comfortable? What if he asks me to do this? Or to step forward into this? Or let, or let go of that? Or, or call out this? Or make a sacrifice here? We're sometimes so scared of God. We're scared to ask for more of him in our lives so that we could see his character more and more in us every day. It makes us nervous, doesn't it? But it shouldn't really. This is the God who went to the cross for you and for me. And if he asks you to do something, it will be for your good. It will be for your good if he asks you to do something. If we all pray for more of God in our lives, plugging more and more into him, this divine unity that Jesus prays for, just be a byproduct. If, we were all, if that was our one goal individually, it would just be a byproduct. We would just be more of God, all of us. The focus of our unity then will just bring others in. The world will see something of Jesus. Does the world see Jesus, the real biblical Jesus, I should add? Does the world see him in us, in our relationships with one another? What is my attitude? And your attitude when it comes to church community. Am I playing my part? Am I giving all I can? Am I asking God to help me to see where I can serve? And take the courage to step forward and serve. To give me a heart of love and a sacrifice towards my brothers and sisters here. Divine unity established for us through the Spirit. My second point. Divine glory entrusted to us through God the Son. We read in verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Now that glory that we mentioned last week, it's God's character. Jesus has made known to us who God is and what he's like. The glory of God is in his character, and that is what Jesus has given to us, his followers. And we are called somehow in some way to reflect that glory. We reflect Jesus. The New Testament writer Paul, he talks about it in 2 Corinthians, and he says this in chapter 3, verse 18. He puts it like this when he says... And all we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Here's a, another translation of it. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Through Jesus opening our eyes to the gospel and through the help of God's Spirit, our life is now to reflect the excellency of God's character as an imitation of Jesus. That's the glory he's entrusted to you and to me. Now, if we don't think that's a high calling, then you and I need to stop and think about that a minute. When we wake up every day, is that our mission? I'm representing Jesus today. Our job is to reflect Christ to the world wherever God has placed you. And by that, we are reflecting his glory. We are reflecting his character. And as we look at our lives, would we say that this was a reality? Was this a goal that we entered every day with? But then there's more, isn't there? Because Jesus then says of another glory in verse 24. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am 
and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. A future glory, an ultimate glory, one where he wants us to be with him, where he wants us to see this glory, specifically see his glory. And seeing his glory means much more than just come look at this. Look what I did. Bask in my victory. That would be glory enough in some way. Just look at it. No, 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 no. God doesn't just say that. He doesn't just say come and look. He says come in and enjoy. Be a part of it. Share in it. As, it, as if it was your own victory and blessing that you had worked for. Come in and enjoy it. That is the grace of God, giving, giving to us what we don't deserve, but in Jesus we can enjoy. See my glory, says Jesus. Share in my glory. Be with me in my glory. Enjoy it as if you had won it. I want those you've given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. That last phrase is a wow, isn't it? Jesus prays that you and I will one day see the true glory and the true unity and the true love that has existed in heaven since before creation itself. The glory and the unity and the love the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have and enjoy that we were originally designed for, we can kind of enter that and enjoy it. Just think about that. God wants that for you. To enter into that unity, that glory, into that love. He wants that for you individually. These words on the screen, they sum up the whole purpose of salvation. The whole reason Jesus came, that you and I may be with him, and that's what Jesus is focusing on right now, just before the cross, as he can hear the soldiers coming. It's what he's focusing on. As we live in this world, that's what we're tasked with focusing on as well. Jesus is focusing on what's ahead. He's yearning to go there. But more than that, you are invited. Jesus invites all of humanity to this glorious party, to this unity, and to this glory, and to this love, this eternal place of joy and peace. You are invited. John 14, he says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Is your heart troubled today? Just remember that Jesus, the carpenter, is in heaven preparing a place for you in glory. That all of the sorrow and the strife and all the difficulty will fall into utter insignificance when we see Jesus and we enter his glory. Jesus is working hard and he's building a place for you. And so here again we see the evangelistic edge. We see the sharing aspect of the glory God has given to us. The glory is given so the church may be united and the world will know that the Father sent the Son. One scholar writes it like this. The church is the manifestation of the love and glory of God in the world. Jesus was the bearer of that glory and now the church, by the power of God's Spirit, bears that glory today. That is our mission. Jesus desires that the world may be persuaded through us, through you and me. That is his desire, that is his plan. This is a unity and a glory and a love that's to be shared. That's the heart of Jesus, isn't it? To share. We need to ask him to give us that heart as well. Jesus gives us his church, his divine glory, so that his church may be united and the world will see that the Father sent the Son. 
The glory you gave me, says Jesus to the Father, I've given to them. It's in their hands now. What are we doing with Jesus' glory? One commentator's put it like this. If the church lives in the Spirit, and thereby in the Father and the Son, if it reflects God's glory and love, if it shows a unity in its ranks beyond, born by a shared knowledge of God, its testimony will astonish the world. If the church lives in the Spirit and thereby the Father and the Son, if it reflects God's glory and love, if it shows a unity in its ranks, born by a shared knowledge of God, its testimony will astonish the world. Is that a prayer, Regent Chapel, for us? Because I think that sounds great. Right? I think that sounds great. Huge, yeah. Impossible? Well, with us, maybe, but with God? No. If Jesus is praying this, then it can happen. This is what God wants. He can produce, he can produce this in us here in Gospel Week in Chapel. He can produce this if we ask him to change us afresh. That's the picture given. Are we prepared to enter the reality that is promised? Who are the ones that we're seeking to share this message and story with? Pray for God to help you and give you the perseverance to keep sharing that message. Then my final point. Divine love enjoyed by us and in us through God the Father. I think that's an appropriate end, I think, for a Father's Day. As a fairly young dad, one of the things I've tried to instill in my son, Seth, and we have as parents, is that he is loved. That his mum and dad love him, and of course, most importantly, that he is created by a God who knows and loves him. He is now, after two years, beginning to say something along the lines of, well, for you, something like that. Just about getting there. But we want him to know that. You are loved. Knowing that you are loved can be the most empowering experience. Did you catch the end of verse 23? It'll be up on the screen there. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You are loved by God with the love he holds for his son. Sometimes you don't feel it. Sometimes you, don't doubt, sometimes you doubt it. Sometimes you don't see it. But that is the love God has for you. And if we doubt it, just look at a hill just outside Jerusalem where he took hell for you and me. That is true love. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son for us. That awe-inspiring, that breathtaking love, the Father's love for the Son is to be seen in us. And we're to be a community that is so knit together in the love of God that the world can't help but notice. According to Jesus, the gospel is preached by our relationships with one another, not just the people we click with, by the way. Our relationships with one another, all of us, the gospel is preached just as much by them as it is by our convictions and by our words. No matter how much the gospel is preached from this lectern, it is either confirmed or contradicted by the quality of the relationships between all of us. That's what Jesus is saying here. For Jesus, it isn't outdated methods or inadequate gospel presentations that are the issue for the church. It's gossip, it's negativity, it's negative criticism, it's insensitivity, it's jealousy, it's backbiting, it's an unforgiving spirit, a, a, a root of bitterness, an over-demanding spirit, a failure to appreciate others, entitlement, self-preoccupation, greed, selfishness, and lovelessness. 
That's the biggest challenge for the church. It isn't outdated methods. It's not inadequate gospel presentations. It's our relationships with each other. This is what can render our evangelism fruitless. It's the quality of our relationships and community alongside our words and our convictions that make the world take note of who Jesus is. Verse 25 to 26. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The Son will continue to make the Father known to the church in order that the love of the Father has for the Son will be in us. And that Jesus himself will be in us. Jesus desires to dwell inside of you. Fill you with his spirit to bring this unity and this glory and this love and this joy. So that our knowledge and understanding of God will be unsurpassed. It will be overwhelming. It will just pour out of us. Until he sees fit that you leave this place to see him and share his glory. That I may be in them, says Jesus. Jesus desires you. He thinks you are worth taking the cross for. He thinks you are worth taking on death and sin and shame and hell. The question is, do we believe that and do we want Jesus? Those are the two questions you have to ask ourselves. Do we believe that and do we want Jesus? Do we want more of him in our lives? Have we given him all access? What are we holding back from him? And if you're feeling right now that this truth of enjoying God's love is, is for others, but it's not for you, I would say that you abandon that lie right now. Come to Jesus and ask that he refresh you again with his love. If you think this is for others and not for you, it's a lie. Stop right now, it's a lie. God's love is for you. Ask God to remove that lie from your life and ask him to fill you with his spirit so that the joy of God's love will just be relit in your life again. And we all have those periods, don't we? We, we all go through cold patches and you need a touch from God. Maybe that's you this morning. To relight the fire. Then maybe come forward at the, end of the prayer, uh, at the end of the service and the prayer team will be here to pray for you. Or maybe you're scared to ask some more of God in your life. It, it, it seems daunting. Come and be fr prayed for at the, the front that God would remove that fear. And so as we draw to a close, I once again want to finish with Jesus' words in verse 24. And they'll be back up on the screen then for us. Verse 24. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am. To see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus looks beyond the cross. He looks beyond the generations of the churches to the very end of the story. He looks through the darkness, beyond it. And he anticipates the arrival of his church, the arrival of his bride, the bridegroom longing to be with his bride. He anticipates your arrival. That's the truth, you know. That he longs to be with you, that he, he longs for you to be with him, sharing in the wonder of his glory. That's what he longs for you. And he will walk with you through the darkness and the difficulty of this life. He will be alongside you in the mountains and in the valleys as we tread this narrow road this challenging road called life. You are loved by God with the love he holds for his son. Sometimes you don't feel it, sometimes you doubt it, sometimes you can't see it, but we need to look at the cross, look at that hill just outside Jerusalem where God went to die for you. And then we need to look beyond the cross to the place Jesus is preparing for you and I, those who have given their life to him. 
Last week I ended with these words from an old hymn and I wanted to put them up again for us. But just the first and the last verse. Midst the darkness, storm and sorrow, one bright gleam I see. Well, I know the blessed morrow Christ will come for me. Midst the light and peace and glory of the Father's home, Christ for me is waiting, watching, waiting. Till I come. He who in the hour of sorrow bore the curse alone, I who through the lonely desert trod where he had gone, he and I in that bright glory one deep joy shall share, mine to be forever with him, his, that I am there. That I am there. That's God's joy. That's what he desires for you and for me. That I'll be there. And so as we come to reflect and as we come to sing, the band are going to come up and they're going to lead us. Maybe just be still and quiet for a moment and let God speak to you. What's God saying to you? What's he saying to me? Meeting you right now where you are in the circumstances of your life. We've talked about unity, we've talked about glory, we've talked about love. Seeking these things means seeking more of God. Are you prepared to pray that prayer? God, I want more of you. I want to see the realities of what we looked at today in my own life. I want to see it, Lord. Maybe close your eyes and pray that prayer right now. I want to see it, Lord. And I want you to know this today. Jesus wants you. Not your abilities or your skills or your gifts, not your possessions. He wants you. Think of the intimacy God desires for us. The words that we've read today like, like oneness I want to be in them and with them the love and the glory you know, sometimes we focus on one or two aspects of the gospel and the, and the position it places us in we were broken but we're now forgiven but it's further than that you aren't just a forgiven servant you're a glorified daughter or son you are brought in you are loved you are liked you are wanted come see my glory and share in it says Jesus he desires you. He desires to heal your brokenness, to forgive your sin, to clear you and restore you, to raise you up to be the person he created you to be. The whole reason for humanity's existence is that we may share in the glory and the awe and the wonder and the joy and the love of God through being in relationship with him. That's why Adam and Eve were created. That's why you were created. Where are you with God right now? If you would like prayer again this morning for anything the prayer team will be here they're going to come up during this next song and that could be anything if you've got anything going on or anything that's touched you this morning come and receive prayer the band now are going to, are going to lead us uh, in a song but I want to end with this little bit whatever you're looking for in life it's found in Jesus he satisfies all your fears your worries your, de your desires if you're looking for something in your life or you're looking for something more of something in your life the answer is Jesus the answer is Jesus and so Father God our response today is simply this we want more of you in our lives and if we don't give us that desire we want to know you and know you more so we sing this to you now not just words but as a prayer and as something that will transform us in the light of your presence. Come and meet with us now, Holy Spirit, today as we sing and as we reflect. Amen.